ladies and gentlemen, I'm Richard Kennedy, and I'm here with Ryan Garvey. We're New England Social, your New England-based podcast about everything New England, from places to go, people to see, things to do, and experiences we're having. The big guy is back at it like a crack addict. How you doing, I'm dude? I'm back, baby. I'm wow. doing great, man. You're a, bi- you're a big dad guy now. I am. I'm a dad. I'm a dad guy now, for sure. That's Definitely huge. A dad guy. That's huge. It's I had a nice uh, sabbatical away from the podcast. That was my, uh, I would say, like five or six weeks of absolute sleep deprivation, where I just you didn't want you didn't even want to hear my voice. But I'm back. I've been getting better sleep lately. Eliza's getting on that down. schedule. She she on that reverse schedule. That's right. Yeah, I know, I know she Karen still stuff. she still is she still is a little bit. All right. She cool. still is. She's still uh, still waking up a lot in the middle of the night, but not quite what it was. So Megan and I are getting sleep. We got a routine down, and I'm feeling good. Looking like a straight gangster all over the gram. Hashtag don't silence Eliza. Hashtag free Eliza. Hashtag Eliza needs her own Instagram. Listeners, mm. start the campaign. Yeah, that's, that's it's just It's 2021. Oh, man, look at you. You're a yeah. huge dad now. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to want to give your kid a cell phone. Uh, sh- uh, she's having a flip phone until at least 13, 14, which isn't that strict, right? It's like Dude, 13 or 14. That kid a thousand percent has a smartphone before she's 10. No. no $100. Way. $100. It's on the no podcast. Way. $100. She has a smartphone before she's 10. 100 bucks, right? Really? 100%. So Dude, it depends how technology. Smart, okay. So a smart device that she can text and call people on. Either video chat or phone. Okay, portable, so, portable, movable. So, basically, you're saying video chat, or or and text, and text can communicate okay. via DM, and mm-hmm. some sort of vocal communication, whether that be video chat or whether that be phone call. Well, okay, flip phone wouldn't have the video chat, but it would have the phone call and the text. Okay, uh, and sorry, internet access. Okay. Active internet okay. access. I'll throw that there. That's an easy bet for me to win because I have complete control over that. So let's yeah, uh, see. Right oh, man. And see, ladies and gentlemen, he's got a daughter. They can, I got complete control of that. You know how many times I've seen my pops go do shit he didn't want to do because my sister wanted to do it? You're going to be oh, a sucker, yeah. dude. You're going to be a sure. sucker. But that doesn't mean I'm going to buy her whatever she wants. I'm not spoiling her. Yeah, no dude. way. Yeah, dude. No for way. Sure. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. All right. Well, hey, guys. Garb's back. It's huge. It's massive. He's a dad. Real quick, if you're about to be a parent or want to be a parent soon, this is your lucky day. You came to the right podcast. Before we get into today's topic, Garb, number one piece of advice for new parents. Hit us. Um. Okay. Rich kind of just sprung this on me. But uh, I would say if you are about to have a child or you want to have a child, write a list down of the most important things in your life. It could be... Not not a physical thing, but like what you like to do and make a top three list or top four list and everything under that, just drop it and you're not going to be able to do that stuff anymore. You just have to accept that if you want to be a parent. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be like fiending to do things that you just are not going to be able to do, right? So like like I I can't, for example, go out and clean the garage. I know that. Who wants to clean the garage? I like cleaning my garage. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Cleaning the car, vacuuming the car. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're, you've always been you a know, therapeutic like guy. Stuff. You've always been a guy that does some stuff to clear the mind. You know what I mean? Sure. That, you're, yeah, that, you're a busy bee. If that's not your bee. thing. Yeah. yeah, if that's not your thing, whatever whatever you like to do, make a top three list and maybe you'll be able to keep those things. But everything else, just commit to dropping it and don't get upset about it because I'm sure there'll be a time in your life where it goes back. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, as we called out last episode, Ryan Garby's here to bring you the real. You may not like it. It may not be comfy, cozy. It is what it is. That's cool. That's awesome, dude. Well, hey. My advice. Hey, I love it. That's great. Um, updating people uh, popped in like 20 bucks into DraftKings after our last episode, after swearing off of DraftKings. Went, <laughs> went up to like 98 bucks. Got hit with a couple of bad bets after a few beers on a Sunday. And I got literally back to twenty dollars. One, uh, one of the uh, Super Bowl. Well, I added more money for the Super Bowl because I was like, it's a holiday, and so I was like, I won like I think three out of five bets, and so I'm just saying that one of those bets was my twenty dollar bet, and so even though none of the right. bets that I bet twenty dollars, I won. So um, we're gonna say I'm still alive here. We're still in it, and we're 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 on our way to two hundred. We're doing our thing. You put any bets go. in lately, Big Uh Yeah, I just won today. Pitts, uh, not Pittsburgh. Um, Purdue to cover Love by that. three and a three and a half points. They they lost by three, so Love I got that. it. So Love plus that. three point five. So I was I was riding high on the Celtics uh, three point lines, and they they let me down a couple of games in a row. That's actually what I got hit on big time. I played some bad bets there, so it's unfortunate. Um, what are you drinking before we get into it? Uh, I forgot a beer. That's kind of a huge, uh, that's all right. huge miscue on me. That's and okay, I go dude. down and get one quickly, but I hurt my ankle yesterday walking the dog. I rolled it pretty hard, so I've been down and out since yesterday afternoon. Dude, I think dirt. I sprained it. It's amazing how much of a dad you are now, huh? That's uh, like that was like such a dad thing to say. Like you know what I mean? Like you, like you, you sprained your ankle. You're out for you're out for weeks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. hoping I'll uh, today I was walking better but you remember how I rolled my ankle back like that's a thing that's yeah, a yeah, yeah 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 that's true that's true that's true it's step a, off a curb it's, yeah a recurring remember, injury do you remember that in college yeah yeah absolutely okay but did you didn't have to cast up though you didn't cast up no I didn't go to the hospital or anything yeah yeah time. you didn't it's cast up the same I'm gonna need a surgery eventually yeah but I'm delaying it all right cool all right so um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we What are you are... drinking? What are you drinking? Oh, Sorry. thank you for asking, dude. Honestly, yeah. I thought you were just going to leave me in the dust. I was going to blow right over it because I was upset, but it's cool. Um, I'm drinking still Mysterious Haze from Somebody Knows Brewery. If you've been listening to the last few episodes, you know that they have a dope-ass deal on kegs, and I have a kegerator, and so I've been just chopping away at that. Very good IPA, much needed, works crazy right now, so a nice cold draft beer after work is a nice little... Uh, Nice little treat, so can't complain, man. It's good stuff. And our buddy Nick, uh, we have. Oh my gosh, we haven't even not, talked. Yeah, we haven't even talked about he's off Nick. The air. <laughs> well, I think the, they figured it out by now. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you guys, yeah, yeah. Imagine Nick just jumped in right now, and Nick was just like, "Hey, thanks for introducing me, Rich." Like that's like that's great. Uh, yeah, Nick Goslin's out. He's out there grinding, uh, being a straight student, um, and we're proud of him. So. Nick, when you hear this, keep it up, big guy. Um, all right, hey, so today we're going to talk about the uh, Boston College point shaving scandal. 
Uh, also known as Playing for the Mob, a 30 for 30 special. For those who don't know what 30 for 30 is, uh, ESPN put on a series of essentially like docu-series about kind of deep cut, about deep cut uh, kind of sports and, uh, you know, related topics. You know, I, they did one about Bo Jackson. Uh, they did one about this PC scandal. They did, was the... Uh, Tale of Two Bills one a, a 30 for 30 or was that just a different ESPN special? I haven't seen that one. You haven't seen that one? Nope. Oh, dude. You gots to see that. Uh, Rand Tale University, uh, which is a Randy Moss story, which is fantastic, 30 for 30. So really, really good docuseries, but, uh, you know, obviously required required watching if you uh, want to learn more about this. I know me and Garby both went into that. The two Bills was a 30 for 30. You mean Bill Belichick, um, Bill Parcell? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. When okay, I say okay. Tale of Two Bills, yeah, yeah, Tale of Two Bills. Oh, cool. That's probably not what it was called. but it, they, no, uh, no, it's like Two Bills or something yeah, like that. Yeah, the Two Bills or yeah. something like that. But, yeah, that was a 30 for 30. So there's a bunch of really good stuff. It's like sports adjacent. It kind of reminds me of, I think it was Real Sports that was on H, was it HBO or something like that at some point. It was a great, a great show. But it's uh, – Kind of finds the story behind the behind the game kind of thing, and uh, we decided to do this because it's obviously Boston College is a really prominent institution here in New England, uh, great school overall, and this was something that I really was a was actually not aware of until uh, Big Daddy Glenn, BDJ, uh, BDJ, uh, mentioned it to us and had recommended. So actually, honestly, here point listeners. Somebody recommended an episode. We looked into it. We agreed to do it. It took us a little bit, but we're doing it right now. You should do the same thing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this. Um, any like opening thoughts you wanted to jump into before we kind of jump into our bulleted list here? I mean, I, I think like any scandal, what we for what we watch and what we read, obviously we don't know yeah. what actually happened. Such a good point. So there's a lot of speculation. And I just feel like it's never actually – it didn't feel like it was settled even though certain people were convicted. A um, lot of politics I feel like too. Like I feel like there was a lot of politics behind it. Um, I think I think there was politics and it was just a case where they wanted to get, you know, the one big guy that we're going to talk about. And, yeah. you know, that was the more important thing to the judge. So we'll yeah. get there. And if that, uh, if that did not end up – if that guy wasn't involved, I kind of wonder if it would have even been like a big, like a big thing. You know what I mean? At the end right. of the day, right? Um, exactly. I wonder, I wonder if, like, at, at the end of the day, it would have kind of. Well, it, it wouldn't have. It, it wouldn't have, and we'll get there. Actually, why, yeah, and you're, yeah, why you're 100 right. Um, so, okay, where to start here? Where to start here? Um, point shaving. I actually like. I guess I knew what point shaving was, like logically, but I guess I didn't really understand the kind of. I feel like moral nuance that can exist exist in a point shaving scandal, and I think it's very important to understand that because I think athletes come off obviously, and anytime there's like a, a betting problem or a point shaving problem or something like that, I feel like the athlete comes off looking pretty bad. But what this whole thing showed me was like there's definitely this kind of moral nuance in the middle. I, I in my opinion, so. Point shaving, just to kind of explain what that is, uh, is essentially you as a athlete are not trying your best. You're trying to manipulate the score, but you're trying to manipulate the score to hit a spread. And that does not necessarily mean that you need to lose the game. And so when uh, a bet is out there for a book, a sports book, we talked about that last episode, 
uh, about DraftKings. Go listen to it if you have not, please, um, on Apple iTunes or Spotify. But essentially, when a bet's out there, you might have, for example, let's take the Celtics. The Celtics against the Heat. And the Celtics might be, the Heat right now are, are better than the Celtics, unfortunately. And so the Heat might be what you would call plus three. That means that the bet is that the Heat will beat the Celtics by three or more points. That's the spread. Um, what's that? You said plus three. Oh, I said, said plus. plus I'm three. sorry. Minus three. Minus three. It'd be minus three. And so that means that the Heat is going to beat the Celtics by more than three points. Right? And so when you're saying sh- point shaving, like somebody on the Heat could try to manipulate the points so that they only win by two points or one point. They could still win the game but they could also still hit the bet. So maybe they went and anonymously bet themselves or had their family member bet on them and say, hey, bet the Celtics are going to hit the spread. They don't necessarily need to lose that game to win that bet. And so that's kind of what point shaving is about. And the whole scandal is based around essentially this network of mob-related individuals working with uh, a, a few, and what might have been a handful, but, but in this case, a convicted few folks that were playing for BC in the 1978 to 1979 season and and three with one of them only one of them being convicted actually to to kind of correct myself and so am I missing anything there kind of like from an overview yeah no you got it I think it's good to mention Goodfellas I didn't really realize this but Goodfellas is essentially the people in Goodfellas are based off of the people in this story the mobsters in this story are literally the mobsters that they base the Goodfellas characters off of. Uh, Jimmy, Henry um, uh, are, are both like prominent characters, not only in that movie, but also this. The mob boss, uh, Polly, uh, was also a, a, a prominent character in this kind of scandal, this story, uh, and whatnot. And so I thought that was a really cool thing. We'll talk a little bit about those connections. But essentially, kind of to start here... Uh, I think the story kind of starts with Henry Hill and ends with Henry Hill. Uh, Henry Hill was a mob-related associate, somebody who had, I don't think was a made man, but was like involved in the mob and worked with them. He went to prison and he had met uh, a associate of his, um, Paul. What was Paul's last name? Was it, it started with an M? Yeah, it was like, it was Maze or something like that. Mazi. Mazi. And, and, I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, and, and Paul was... Paul was one of the uh, uh, PA guys, right? The Pennsylvania guys, right? Yep, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. And so Paul and Henry meet each other in jail, and they essentially kind of talk a little bit, and they're both a part of the mob. And, and again, as the 30 for 30 kind of documentary explains, these guys who are mob-related or in the mafia, they literally are just going around and trying to find schemes or scams that they can run to get money, right? That's how they make their living is they come up with different schemes and scams. They invest in them and they get money from that. And so Paul and and Henry are kind of talking about how they can kind of go into business together and they kind of come up with this idea to try to do point shaving, right? And essentially they connect with a couple of other people from the Pittsburgh area, Tony and uh, Rico uh, Perla. And all of these guys kind of come up with this plan to do this point-shaving scandal. Now, they all kind of work for the mob. And from what I understood, correct me if you have a different understanding, Garb, is that the idea was that you, you, you kind of always either needed to pay it up and you always kind of needed to get the blessing of the mob. And Jimmy, um, Jimmy's last name was Burke, right? Jimmy Burke was their connection to Polly, the mob boss. And so he essentially was the one that could get them the blessing of the mob and say, hey, yeah, you're... 
you're good to go. You're 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 good to go. Run the scheme. We're not we're not going to have a problem as long as everybody kind of gets their cut. Uh, would you say you get the same understanding there? Yeah. So Jimmy Burke was um, basically he was a higher up in the one of the big uh, New York gangs, the Luke, Lucchese organization. So yep. he was a higher up there. So Lucchese like Rich said, family. yeah, like Rich said, Henry Hill, who was kind of under Jimmy Jimmy Burke and got the okay from Jimmy. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, kind of interesting how that like that network happened. So it was cool to kind of watch the documentary and get a sense of how all these people were connected in different cities and whatnot. But the other kind of cool thing was when you bet, you had to bet. You could only bet, I think it was like up to $10,000. But these guys are pay, playing with like hundreds of thousands of dollars at the time. And so that's, I kind of got the sense that they lost me a little bit. I kind of got the sense that that's where the Pittsburgh people kind of also came in. They had the connection to the initial BC player who Rick, uh, Rick Kuhn, but also I think that they also had their line of books that they could bet through as well as I'm sure they did some stuff through New York. And like, that's how they got into the point where they could kind of bet like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Cause there was a limit to what you could bet with each book. Um, and so they kind of create the situation where they can bet hundreds of thousands of dollars on a single game through a variety of books. And their idea is that they're going to essentially pick these ideal games where BC is favored by enough that they feel the players can actually manipulate the score to be under the spread. So a situation where BC might be favored negative nine, right? A pretty decent spread in a basketball game, maybe negative 10. And so the idea is that the BC students can still win the game. Everybody can keep a moral, you know, compass. Not really, but, you know, that's the idea. And then, you know, these folks can kind of get paid. And so that's kind of the scheme as a whole. And so essentially these guys get connected with this guy, Rick Kuhn, who I think it was minor league baseball. He was like kind of in the minor league baseball circuit and eventually ended up going to BC, which I didn't really understand. I didn't. I, and I guess he was like kind of like an older player at BC. And so he ends up going to BC. He's actually from Pittsburgh area. He knows some of these Pittsburgh guys. They all end up meeting and they kind of introduce and he agrees to this point shaving scandal, right? And essentially is the guy who's going to get the rest of these kind of BC players um, involved. And so there's three major BC players that we kind of need to track in this story. Rick Kuhn, that's kind of... Number one connection to the mafia, the guy who gets convicted at the end of the day, spoiler alert, um, definitely involved in this scandal. And I always say, like, definitely involved in the scandal because, again, he's admitted it. Um, he's come, he's pleaded guilty, the whole nine yards. Um, Jim Sweeney, or Jimmy Sweeney, uh, again, BC basketball player. Um, guy has kind of like a poster boy uh, reputation quote-unquote, Mr. BC, everything that you're supposed to be as a BC athlete, um, kind of the good kid. He's the guy that, in my personal opinion, it's kind of unclear on, like, how on board or exactly how, you know, how much he pushed back on this situation. He's also involved in this. And then you have Ernie Cobb. Ernie Cobb is the best basketball player on the team. So you have Jimmy, who's the point guard. And Ernie Cobb, who's the best basketball player on the team. And somebody in the documentary made a really good point. Like, if you were going to try to shave points off of a basketball game, the people you'd probably want to 
connect with are the best player and the point guard. Point guard who controls the ball and the offense, best player who's probably scoring most of your points, right? And so there are those guys. And for me, and I guess we'll talk about this a little bit as we did at the beginning, Ernie was the one that felt the most. Uh, he definitely knew something was going on. He definitely acts a little naive, I think, in the documentary. But I think for me, he feels like the one that was the furthest away from this. But those are those three players. And then the rest of the players on the team, there's one other guy, Michael Bowie, who is kind of gets involved and we'll talk about a little bit later. But the rest don't seem to really ever be too strongly connected from a legal conviction perspective. Um, anything I'm missing there, Garb? You got it pretty much. Rick Coon, Jim Sweeney, Ernie Cobb. Rick was the guy who had the main connection. Right. 100%. And so what happens is Rick introduces Jimmy to these mobsters. And, and you know, you're going, you're watching this, I think, documentary. And what was interesting to me is now you get this, like, situation where you're talking to all these people who are involved. Because a lot of these people are still alive when the documentary was filmed. I think it was, like... 2014 it came out and so henry hill's in it the um perla brothers are in it um burke's obviously not in it um paul mozzie's in it uh rick was not in it but jimmy's in it ernie's in it and so all these people are in it and i thought the kind of cool thing and i wanted to get your thoughts on it garby was they like all have the same story like, they all agree on timeline. They all agree on events. Like, they even agree, like, when they met each other. Where the story gets, like, super gray is when you start talking about the particulars and exactly, like, who said what to who and how on board the students were and, like, how pushy or threatening the mobsters were, right? Like, obviously, you have the students who are, like, very much like, whoa, we either were threatened to do this or we had no idea what was going on. And then you had the mobsters who were like, yeah, we made a deal with them. Like, we're mobsters. We're criminals. It, it, like, that's what we were doing at the time. But they were taking the money. Everybody was happy. What were your thoughts on kind of that dynamic? It definitely got sticky with the players because you had, out of the main three players, two of them denying any any sort of manipulating of the game and one of them completely admitting it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, it's just a shady story. In general, because you know that there's some people lying and some people probably telling the truth. You just don't know exactly who it is. Yeah, it's it was just like super interesting. Cause it's like nobody's nobody's disagreeing on what happened. Nobody's like or nobody's disagreeing on like the end result. No one's disagreeing on like the timeline. But people are disagreeing on like who said what when and who took what where. And so it's like really interesting. Rick Coon wasn't a part of the documentary. I. Don't know what happened to him. I'm guessing he just, like, wasn't interested in being involved. And that was too bad because he was kind of the missing piece to a lot of this, I feel like. Like, a lot of the mobsters were like, we paid him. We don't know how much money he gave out to the other players. And a lot of the players were like, oh, yeah, Rick Coon was the one that was, like, kind of dealing with all this. He was clearly under pressure. But, I mean, he was really, like, the real bad guy. And so it was kind of interesting that he wasn't yeah. a part of it. Um, yeah, so he was – I mean – that's because I don't. I know we didn't want to probably jump there. He was convicted ten years to prison, so he was like the most guilty of all of them. So I can imagine that's probably why. Yeah, he only did twenty eight months though. Yeah, yep. yeah, and so he was, and we'll we'll kind of talk about that. But anyway, so what ends up happening is these guys get connected. Jim Sweeney kind of claims up and down, up and down that he agrees to things in person because he's scared for his life. He's scared for the life of his girlfriend. There's several times they mention like, oh yeah, they, the mob threatened his girlfriend, threatened his family. You know, um, I think Henry even admits at some point, he's like, yeah, I might've said something like, it'd be hard to play basketball with a broken arm and whatnot. And so again, it's the mob. 
So what happened was Rick, the player, he brought Jim Sweeney, the other player, to the hotel to meet with Henry. And he wasn't sure, like, why they were meeting. But basically, Henry's like, yeah, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be doing this just to let you know. You don't really have a choice. And he said, how would you feel if next time you see your girlfriend, you have your dick hanging around your neck? That's what he said. (laughs) So that's what the mobster, Henry Hill, said to kind of like the innocent uh, Jim Sweeney who came off as he was just like a a player, but he was a bookworm and a nerd, and he was kind of vulnerable in that situation. Yeah, but like, wasn't it like, so this is like the interesting thing about this documentary. Wasn't it Sweeney who claimed he said that? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, it's like that's the whole thing is when you hear it from Sweeney's side, these mobsters essentially had a metaphorical gun to his head, right? And like even then he's still kind of like I'm like saying yes, but in my head I'm like I'm not shaving points. I'm going out there and playing my best basketball. And there's a couple of times where I think his story doesn't really match up. Like they go through games and and they actually uh, lose – like when I say lose, they they actually win, but they more than blow out the score of the first game that they're supposed to kind of shave points on, and so that is a point in in Jim Sweeney's kind of column. It's after that point that they go and try to get Ernie involved, right? The mobsters are like, okay, we need to get Ernie involved because Ernie's out there scoring a bunch of points. And when you talk to Ernie about it in this documentary, he's essentially saying, yeah, I met with these guys. They wanted to talk about games. They wanted to talk about how confident I was for certain games. And yeah, somebody said to me, yeah, well, hey, I bet on these games. If you end up being right about some of the advice you're giving me, I'll I'll take care of you. And so he kind of spends it like this entire time. Yeah, he's not a perfect guy, but he's a college student with no money. And some guy says, if you, you know, if you're telling me what games you guys are going to win and how much you're going to win by, you know what I mean? And like, you're just based off your confidence, like I'm going to give you a thousand bucks. He was kind of like right, wrong or in between. Yeah, I took the money, but I never shaved points. Like, I never tried to lose was his whole point. But anyways, everybody kind of agrees that this is when Ernie kind of gets quote-unquote involved in in the situation. And so they hit a couple of games where it, I think, works out, and it works out in the favor of the mob where they do shave points. They play a couple of games where they only win by one. I do think that they actually win all of the games but the last one. Um and so, like, that's kind of where that moral compass comes in, right? With point shaving and where, like, the gray comes in is you have a lot of people who are, like, n- clearly not involved in the situation but were interviewed because they were related to the situation, knew somebody or something like that. And they were kind of like, yeah, at the time I didn't know. But now that I know, it's like, okay, well, was – okay, that was kind of a bad pass. Was it bad on purpose? Was it – you know what I mean? Yeah, he did miss that free throw, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's the situation? And so, like, that was kind of the interesting about it and and the kind of moral gray area, I think, specifically point shaving introduces to the situation. So um, they go through. They get to Holy Cross. Holy Cross is BC's big rival. You know, there's all this talk about how they're supposed to, you know, they they really should beat uh, Holy Cross. And I think Holy Cross was negative three. So Holy Cross is favored to win. And the mob... A straight up asks them to, you know, throw the game, right? And so these are the two situations where I think Jim Sweeney kind of loses some credibility. I want your thought process. One of the games before that, they're super close. They could potentially, you know, beat the spread. Sweeney, who's one of the best free throw shooters in the entire college circuit at this time, misses a free throw, right? And, and he, in the documentary, comments on it and says, yeah, I mean, like, 
I'm sitting here worried about getting cement blocks put around my feet. Right? And again, there's right. the he said, she said. And then for the Holy Cross game, he fouls out. Right? On purpose. On yeah. purpose. And he admits to doing it on purpose. And again, from his side of the story, he's like, yeah, I didn't want anything to do with this. I wanted to take myself out of the situation. One could also say, or you, the starting point guard, wanted to put yourself, your team at a disadvantage, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? I kind of believed him. I think he fouled out early in the second half. And the way I just saw that is he just wanted to, like, surrender. And and no matter what happened, he can't say that it was, you know, like he just got himself out of the situation for a very temporary 15 minutes because obviously there were ramifications Mm-hmm. after that so I don't think he was thinking that far ahead of time or maybe he just didn't take the threat of the mob that seriously but he took himself basically out of the game and just kind of let the game do its thing yep. um, but that was the game where they still they still worked out in the mob's favor right? No so that game didn't so essentially was that Hol- the Holy Cross game? Hol- yeah Holy Cross is negative three okay yep. and so mobs just lose this is like the last game, right? And that was like the whole thing is is they went to the players and they were like, this is the last one that we're going to have you do, but you need to essentially throw this game by more than three points. And they obviously didn't, but they still lose the game. So again, you're in this kind of this gray area. Apparently, life goes on. Mobsters don't retaliate against them. Threats don't come through. Players go on. Sweeney wins some sort of like Eagle of the Year award the next year. Um, Rick, I'm not sure what he does, but he goes on and, and I listened to a different podcast that like, you know, I think said something like the day that the the FBI came to kind of get him, he was you know, he was doing fine. It was just like a normal day or whatever. Um, Ernie actually makes a play for the NBA. Uh, I think gets drafted, gets cut, but then it has a shot at being on the Nets, I think it was, and, you know, is doing his thing. And then all of a sudden one day, I don't know what year it was, Garb. What Do you know what year it was that all this went down from a legal perspective? Yeah, I think it was like 1980. Uh, that's when Henry got arrested. That's when Henry uh, got arrested. Yeah, um, for the drug charges that had nothing to do with the scandal. Yeah, okay. And so Henry yeah. gets arrested in, for the drug charges in 1980 for, again, things that had nothing to do with the scandal. And so now let's flip back to the mob side. And this is where things, again, kind of get a little confusing. The Lucchese family, and mostly Jimmy here, right, are obviously running other things. They're doing other things. And the, the FBI is interested in busting them for that stuff, right? It has nothing to do with this BC stuff, okay? And so Jimmy runs this operation where he steals – a boatload of money. It's called the Lutunza. I think the Lutunza operation is that the side. Was that the name of the airport? It was like he stole a bunch um, of money no, from so the airport. It was JFK in New York, but Lufthansa was just the. Uh, it's an airline, it's the so airline. they stole like literally two to five million dollars in cash. That was for some reason there was a ton of cash in some airplane, and they they pretty much they uh, organized to steal all of it, and they did successfully. Right. And so you have the situation where that money goes, the FBI knows Jimmy's involved, but can't prove that Jimmy's involved and is going after him heavily because, again, this is 1980. A couple million dollars is even more than a couple of million dollars is now. Right. You know what I mean? Which is crazy. And so essentially, as time goes on, allegedly, Jimmy is having people killed off who are 
like related to the Latunza situation. This whole thing is in Goodfellas. The airport, the Lutunza airport heist is in Goodfellas, and this is the whole reason why the main character and Henry Hill, the real guy, claim that he re- claims that he ends up becoming a right, ends up snitching on all of his friends, is that Jimmy is killing off people who are involved in the Lutunza situation. He was involved as well, and so he thinks he's next, right? And he claims the FBI brought him in and essentially played him a tape where Jimmy was talking to Polly, the the mob boss, and saying like, "Hey, like you, like let's just get let's get rid of him." Uh, let's get rid of Henry. And so, like, that's why he ends up ratting. And so Henry rats him out, right, and is going through all this stuff. And he's talking about getting into witness protection. And he, like, lets slip this, like, BC scandal. And furthermore, lets slip that Jimmy is one of the guys who bet on the BC scandal, th- like, throwing games. And essentially the FBI uses the BC scandal and, and the relationship and link between these players and the point shaving to uncover the entire scandal, link Jimmy to it, and convict Jimmy for 20 years based on essentially phone calls and ca- uh, Western uh, – it was uh, like Western cash exchange or something like that. Western Union? Western, Western Union slips essentially, right? You would think that this would be like a well-oiled machine, like they'd cover their bases, but they literally – transferred the mob transferred money to the basketball player via western union yeah. using their real names like, it's like like i i would figure that out on my own not to do that maybe 1980s you just you don't think about that well in the yeah 1980s? I, like, I mean i think i think nowadays we live in the age of information right and like that's like the whole thing about this is we say that about it but like again if it's not for Jimmy and it's not for this other thing and it's not for Henry being the one who gets busted and like again Henry's known, like everybody talks about it in this this documentary, Henry's known for being like loose and casual talking about like criminal activity, right? And so he's like, I'm busted. These guys know me. I got a deal. I'm just talking. I'm just chatting. And he's definitely somebody who like seems like he, you know, blows things up, right? Embellishes a lot. And so if it's not for him mentioning this to a guy who actually is from the Boston area, I, I don't know if he went to, I think he went to BC, Right. And like kind of takes it personal that that like the guy would suggest that there would be a scandal at BC. Like none of this gets uncovered. Like all of this happens and none of it gets uncovered. Right. You know what I mean? And so like, yeah, it's like, are they stupid? But I think back in the day, they're like, this is a Western Union slip in 1978. Like, you know what I mean? Not even thinking about it. And now you would never do that. Right. Like now you like don't even want to sign up for things on emails that have your name attached to it. Right. Right. Which is crazy. Um, And so anyways, all of this goes down and the way the FBI goes about this is they essentially go after the players, right? They essentially find the players and they pressure the players into admitting what went down. They hit up Jimmy and I think Jim Sweeney kind of points to the other guys and, and essentially through the trial, really throws Rick Coon under the bus, which under the bus is a loose term. It, from what it sounds like and from what Rick Coon had admitted to, um, he was as involved as anybody could be involved. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that Rick Coon said to one of the FBI agents, everything you guys said was right. Everything you found out was right. The only thing that wasn't true in that trial was Jim Sweeney was way more involved than he let on. And so... I don't know. I just like thought that just like stuck with me. And the, and the Jim Sweeney thing was just like, just so much of it was like, 
oh yeah, I told him yes, but it was just because this. But then we did like hit the spread and like it, I don't know, it's whatever. But the whole the whole court case, and not that we got the entire story, but it seemed like it was based off of a lot of subjectivity, like a, like how somebody feels. You're basing a conviction based off of how they claim they felt. Yeah. But I think they, I think they broke the, I think they broke the players, and so they were like, okay, we know it happened. And then to your point, I think it was all about just finding the money, finding the phone calls, and then they had Henry on the other side who was like, yeah, this happened. And so you had the right. players who, yeah. like, they mentioned that in the documentary. They're like, Henry's like, this is what went down. It happened. And then you had the players, and again, the documentary does this good thing of painting this picture of who Jim Sweeney is at the time, which is this like golden boy. He gets on the stand and he's like, yeah, he's right. This happened. And oh, by the way, Rick Coon's the one who like really drove this for us. The rest of us were just scared. Um, and Ernie Cobb is actually not originally convicted, but then gets evicted, convicted, gets convicted later on, um, but fights for his name, uh, doesn't take a plea deal, goes on the stand, and the jury finds him not guilty. He essentially claims that he did take $1,000, but he took $1,000 because he thought a mobster was happy that he won him a big bet. Um, and so he essentially, the way he he feels like he looked at it was like, yeah, I won a mobster a big bet. Like, he bet on me. He yeah. won. And so he gave me $1,000. to. Get, I'm a poor college student. And, like, that's I, what was sketchy to me. So we say it's sketchy, but, like, is it also sketchy for boosters to give to give students, like, money? Yeah, like, sure. But but if you're just – you're he's basically claiming some guy – came and talked to him who was in the mob he was speaking in metaphors and everything and he didn't understand what he was meaning and everything and then a week later he comes over with a thousand dollar envelope like he had oh i had no idea i don't i don't so buy that. so here's the I thing is like i think ernie can't claim innocence because it's like dude exactly like you said dude a guy was talking to you about games he came he gave you games i think it was the gave you gave you money after winning a game uh at a certain margin right and it like you know, and I think it was after a game where he didn't play that well or something like that, right? And the yeah. and, and the coach says it the best. Like I think it was one of the coaches who's like, if you take the money, you're a fixer. Like, yeah, I mean that's the thing. And like I make the same argument with Sweeney. I'm like, Sweeney over here claims he's like, Oh, innocence, he's like, whatever. He's like, and then Rick Coon gave me five hundred dollars and he let it drop to the floor and there was five hundred bucks on the floor and I knew there was no turning back from here. It's like, well, walk away from the five hundred dollars if you're like if you're being if you're in right. such a moral dilemma. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Leave the $500 yeah. on the ground. I still get what you're saying. You're scared for your life. You're scared for your, your girlfriend. Th- even if you throw the game because you're scared, right? But, like, don't take the money. Then yeah, it's and about that, so the that's why I guess I just – I don't understand why he wasn't convicted. And, exactly. Um, but the other guy, uh, Cobb, Cobb, Cobb was. Cobb took the 1000 bucks, and then – No, Cobb wasn't convicted. Cobb, got, Cobb was, uh, was not guilty. Okay, he did. Oh, uh, sorry. He did. He did go to trial. Cobb did go to trial. Whereas I think Jimmy cooperated, and they're like, "We're not coming after you if you cooperate," because I think okay. Jimmy was yeah. the one who like confirmed that things happened. And so I think Jimmy's the Henry on the BC college student side, right? Um, but anyways, Jim Jim Sweeney. I keep getting. The, I just keep saying Jimmy. I should use Jimmy to talk about Jimmy Burke. Jim. Or Sweeney yeah, for, two gyms, for Jim so. Sweeney. So Jim Sweeney is the basketball player. Jimmy Burke is the mobster. Jimmy Burke essentially gets 20 years for the evidence that is put against him for being involved. And Rick Kuhn 
the basketball player, who is admittingly, self-admittingly, very involved in the situation, gets 10 years for, in prison. He ends up doing 28 months. And so something tells me that this was like, you know, kind of understood. But I think the point that the documentary makes is they gave Rick Kuhn 10 years for being the basketball player to do this so they could give the mobster who made all the money 20 years, right? Is essentially like how right. I picked up on it. And then yeah. essentially Henry buries Jimmy Burke more down the road by, you know, essentially pointing fingers at him for a murder. And, and so Jimmy ends up dying in prison. Um, but I don't know, such a fascinating story. I don't know. Any closing thoughts on that? I was kind of surprised that nobody really got hurt or killed from it to be honest because as soon the first game where they were trying to fix the game it didn't work out for the mob so i thought they were going to come out like guns blazing and try to hurt someone but they were smart and instead it was originally just two players they expanded and said okay we're going to get this third player involved who's the best player on our team yeah they won thousands like hundreds of thousands of dollars but and then they lost a bunch of money in that last game and that last game was against Holy Cross, and I'm just looking at the schedule right here. There were still about 10 games remaining, so I'm surprised they just ended it right there. Maybe they just wanted to take their money. Yeah, and so I, I, I think it wasn't that like successful of a like. It, I think it reason, wasn't. I think the no. reason the the scheme like nobody got hurt and like the scheme died down is I honestly because if you talk if you listen to the mobsters, some of them say they made no money, they lost money. Some say that. They made hundreds of thousands of dollars. I bet you people came a little bit closer to breaking even. And I think they were like, what are we going to go whack a bunch of college, BC college students? You know what I mean? Like that's like asking for it. And they just like moved on. And the BC college kids just like held their breath for a few months and then eventually went on living their lives. And then again, by this like freak mentioning through Henry Hill, it all gets like dragged up and like, boom, like that's, it all goes down. And like, I think Jimmy is making himself sound more of a victim than he was, but I will say there's like, you know, there's a chance that's not the case. Raccoon again admitted to being in there. I agree with you. I think Ernie's playing a little more naive than Ernie than er, like than he was. I think he knew what was going on. I don't think he was like as involved as the other um players. But I did want to talk about one other thing, which was super effed up. When the Boston Globe dropped um, dropped the story. The Boston Globe, you know, kind of, you know, wrote on the story after it had been, I think it was Sports Illustrated had told the Henry Hill side of the story before the trial had even happened. Um, I think the trial's going down and the Boston Globe drops the story and they name a player on the team, Michael Bowie, as one of the players involved. Now, Michael Bowie was not involved. Michael Bowie had actually asked Jim Sweeney about what was going on because he had kind of sensed that things were kind of messed up and like something was going on. Sweeney kind of blew him off. He didn't really think much about it. He self-admittedly was like, in the time, I didn't really realize it was point shaving. Obviously now looking back on it, it is. And they name him. He's over in Europe playing. He His Europe career ends. He can't get back into basketball and he has to wait. He's like, is said a bunch of time to even get a retraction from the paper. And it was false. He wasn't one of the people who was involved in the case, and he wasn't one of the people who was in the point shaving. And so, mm. just kind of messed up. His life. Yeah, yeah, just kind of messed up because I want to say the other person who was named was Ernie, right? And again, say Ernie was or was not as involved as you want. Rick Coon 
and Jim Sweeney are just as involved as Ernie, right? That's like something that feels very clear here. And so it's just like, it's the two African-American guys who kind of get called out in the globe and that I thought was kind of messed up. Um, hmm. But things get kind of straightened out. Like I said, Ernie fought for his name, was uh, uh, was found not guilty. Uh, Michael uh, Bowie was never involved in the case in general, but again, it was the slander so, that took him down. So this so. is where... Yes. Okay. So Michael Bowie's pretty much his life was ruined because these three other players tried to fix it. Michael Bowie's name was on the Boston Globes. They got it wrong. But this is where I I still was like this guy could have been involved, and the reason is because when um, Jimmy, not Jimmy, sorry, when Henry Hill told the prosecutor that this scandal happened the very first time, he couldn't even remember the names because he was always so drugged up. Yeah. Right. So what happened is the prosecutor brought him a roster and said, pick out the names. Oh, and he's like, oh, these three guys. And and so he trusted them. And he's like, yeah, it was these three guys. Right. But there could have been a fourth guy or fifth guy. He didn't really seem to know yeah, what the hell was like, going I, on. Yeah. But like no one, no one called him out in like that documentary. And he was fully involved. Like no, Sweeney didn't no, call but, him out. You know. Uh, right. Bro- why would, uh, but why would they? Why would they? I don't if know. He was they had no accused. problem. They had no problem calling Rick out. Like they and Ernie had yeah, but no he problem was picked talking on that about list. Sweeney. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I, but I what I'm know. saying is they were all three of those guys. That's because Henry picked them out on the list. They could have been like, "Why am I going to involve this this fourth guy?" Right, when but he so did the, but so did the so did the per, like the Perla people all confirmed the same the, those same people like you know what I mean? So you had the Perla people, Paul, okay, and. And Henry Hill all confirming those same three people who were involved. That's like a lot of people. Plus the Jimmy, two, the brothers are saying, yeah. Plus Jimmy, and then Rick Coon never called Michael Bowie out in the trial either. And so, like, I, I just don't think Bowie was right. involved at all. So I don't really think there's a lot of evidence pointing to him to being involved. Um, I I think you make a point with Ernie Cobb, like Ernie Cobb. The way Ernie Cobb talks about it in the documentary, he's essentially like, I was just a guy accepting a thousand dollars. Which I see the logic behind that. If that's the story. Like, it's not saying it's right. I'm just saying I understand that. But, like, it is a little, like, like you said, some guy comes to me who's clearly from the mob, right? He even says later on when they show him pictures of the people, he's like, yeah, these look like mobsters. They just have that look. And so it's like, okay, so you're talking to somebody who you are, are like, you, you know is from the mob or, or you have that inclination. And then he's talking yeah. to you about games. He's talking about winning or losing. And, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, on the, on the, con- on the other side – I'm just thinking about like 19, 20 year old me and some like mobster oh, kind of like coming up to me and not even threatening me. I would just have no idea what the hell is going on. Or if he's speaking in metaphors, I'd be like, oh, okay. And then I just play my game and he comes with a thousand bucks. He'd be like, oh, okay. Like you don't think of that's, but that was my point to you at the beginning. I, and that's yeah. what I think happened. I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate on myself. Like, you know what I mean? Right. I see your point. That's exactly what I think happened. And I, I think he's a smart guy. And so, but what I think it was more of is like, listen, I'm not in a position to turn down a thousand dollars, but I right. go out there and play. I honestly think he had the position that really Jim Sweeney is really claiming to have, which is just like I went out there and played my best every single game, and like I kind of believe that about Ernie Cobb. I, Jim Sweeney, I think, was a truly terrified individual. Um, I th- kind of think he took a little bit more money than he led on to believe, and was probably a little more involved. I do kind of buy that he like didn't necessarily ask for this and like, wasn't like on board. I think Rick Coon was like, 
got involved, didn't really realize how involved he was getting, and then like kind of pulled his buddy in. Is like yeah. what, what I is what I kind of think happened. Yeah, um, and um, you can't like prove that they mess missed a shot or whatever on purpose. Like that exactly. is not provable. Exactly. But when you look at uh, just looking at their stats, and this Rick Coon guy, he averaged two points a game. Yeah. So he wasn't he wasn't the or three points a game. He yeah. wasn't the one exactly. um he was messing his, the games up. It was between two guys. Exactly. Yeah. And so like that's where you make kind of a good point, right? And so um all right, cool. Any closing thoughts on this? This is like a fun one. No, I just I just kinda look at the mob and be like, You guys could have done that so much better. You could have done that so like, much better. You could have yeah. So like, much give, them, better. give the kids more than a thousand bucks, first of all. Yeah. So like if you're making you're making a hundred thousand bucks. Show them the money when you go to see them. Don't just be like, "Hey, we're you know." Show them like what a hundred thousand dollars looks like. <laughs> just be like, "You want to make this kind of money? Yeah. You're gonna do this for me, and you're gonna keep your mouth shut." And then Whoa. they never like brought Cobb in and had him talk to the other two players that were involved. It was more just like, "Oh, is he involved or?" Like what's going on? The the mob never brought them in together and be like, "We'll kill all fucking three of you." But <laughs> on the other side, if you just do what we want, here, look at all this money. You've got it all you know figured what I out. Mean? Why why you're not running a point shaving scheme is beyond me. You got a new daughter out there to worry about. I mean, you just explained a good business plan. That's that's what I heard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, good stuff. Uh, all right, to wrap up, some sad news. Some real sad news. Um. Tom Brady's won another effing Super Bowl. Gotta, gotta, <laughs> gotta give it to the guy. Gotta give it yeah. to the guy. You yeah. gotta. You have no, to. No, you do. You do. And I, I'm here to say, I know ladies and gentlemen want to hear it, so I'll put it out here live. Tom Brady is finally, unequivocally, on paper, and in my personal opinion, the second best quarterback to ever play the game. Right behind Joe Montana. I'm just playing around. What? I'm just playing around. He's okay, the best. Right. He's the best out there. He is. He Whoa. Is. Okay. So he now is. you're saying he's the, the best of all time. Yeah, he's the best of all time quarterback. Yeah, I think on paper and in whatever. Yeah, your yeah. Other... I don't think you can have like a legitimate football opinion. Just it's because he did it without Bill, and that's always been my feeling. And I'll be honest okay. with you. And yeah. I've said this like... early. I said this, and this is exactly my stance. This is what I had wrong about Tom Brady. Never doubted his intelligence. He's one of the smartest quarterbacks to play the game. And when I say, I don't mean like just in general in life. I'm just saying quarterback intelligence. He's one of the smartest, best decision makers, best audible callers in the entire game to ever play the game. Always knew that. The guy can throw the ball. He's accurate thrower. He's never got, he wasn't a, a big bomb thrower, but like he, he's accurate thrower, right? Work ethic. Like never doubted the work ethic, right? To be clear, always said that Tom Brady was a good guy outside of a couple of things off the field too as well, right? Uh, all my opinions about him, uh, you know, and negative opinions are, are about on the field stuff and, and that's what's fun about being a fan. But the thing that I've never really thought that Tom Brady was actually as good as people thought he was at was being a leader. I thought he always relied on Bill Belichick a lot more to drive the team, to keep the team in line, um, and to, because you need, football's a team sport. It's like Super Bowls are an impressive stat for an individual and a quarterback, but, like, football is too much of a team sport to be like, that is that person who did that, right? And, and like, look at what Tom Brady had around him. He had ended up having one of the best defenses in the entire league. And he, cl- I think he clearly had the most weapons, personal opinion, right? Mm-hmm. But you definitely yeah, top three. And so, like, it's not, like, that team should win the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day... 
the fact that he goes to a new team first year away from Bill Belichick where he's been his entire career and throws up the dub, yeah, man, I can't really hate too much. That's 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 pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, and, like, here's the other thing, too, and this is the fucking annoying thing about Tom Brady. Like, he did, the other re- re- thing you can't argue about, he went through Drew Brees, he went through Aaron Rodgers, and then he went through the oh, new hotness. Right? I know. Here's what's annoying about Tom Brady, though. Drew Brees was a shell of himself and did not show up in that game. Absolute oh. garbage. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, atrocious decision-making in the first half, came out in the second half, and then that defense, they lose. The Bucks are at home last weekend if the fucking Green Bay defense just plays a, f- like, is just puts everybody in the effing end zone when there's a 10-second play left on the clock. Like, you know what I mean? Like, literally just do not let a touchdown up, like a 40-yard touchdown up in 10 seconds going into the half. That's like... Oh, that, that first half, the end yeah, of the first half. If, that does, if they don't score that, they, right. everything else plays out the same. Yeah, but Tom executed it. 100% he did. He 100% yeah. he did. And, and, that's, and that's the annoying thing about Tom. Is like, you have these situations where it's like, dude, like, are you serious with that defensive throw? Like, that's an absolute miss. But the guy capitalized... Right, mm-hmm. this thing with Drew Brees. Drew Brees is a shell of himself, but you know what? Tom capitalized. Andy Reid, atrocious coaching job. Right, atrocious game. Patrick Mahomes didn't show up. Defense is clearly important because, like, that's what happened just there. And again, say what you want about Tom, he he capitalized. So yeah, best quarterback to play the game. Um, yep. Still a lot of questions. Still think he's overrated. Still think he gets a lot more credit than he's due. <laughs> best quarterback ever. But, Dude, but he, is, he is the best quarterback. But he's not that convincingly the best quarterback of all time. So he's overrated. He is. He is. He's overrated. He is. He's overrated. Uh, you'll give it that uh, he's the GOAT, but you're still going to yeah, say he's, he's overrated. overrated. He's the okay. GOAT, but he's overrated. Um, okay. You know, you know, that's, that's what it is. Uh, so good stuff. Any thoughts on the Super Bowl? Any thoughts on that stuff? No, I I said he's the GOAT, and I said – I've said that since his fifth Super Bowl. I said once he, like, if he wins his fifth Super Bowl, I'm, he's the goat in my eyes. So I've had that the whole time. But just for me, like, he went through those three quarterbacks because he, he made the least amount of mistakes. Like, 100%. and that's always what he does. 100%. He just does not make mistakes. 100%. And that's and he, that's the he's lesson. not like the guy who who needs to get twenty yards on each play. He'll give up and, a play, and that's just. And, and that's where my hatred enough. comes. That's where my yeah. hatred comes from. Is that Patriots fans, most Patriots fans, they'll act like the guy is the LeBron James of football, right? And like that is not the case. Right. But, but that's the that's the thing is and, and this is where I'm not fair to him. The most important thing in football, the most important thing in football is discipline. Not making mistakes in football because there's so many players on the field, so much margin for error. And and the game is literally not to like you know to quote any given Sunday it's literally a game of inches. Discipline is what is the most important thing. Games are won and lost on on penalties. Games are won and lost on fourth fourth and one. You know what I mean? Like how many times has Tom Brady like quarterback sneaked over the fourth mm-hmm. for a fourth down to continue a play? Like you know what I mean? This is this is what I'm saying. Like detail, attention to detail, discipline is the most important thing in football. And there's nobody who has more attention to detail and more discipline in the football history than Tom Brady. I would have said Bill Belichick, but I think Tom, Tom has, Tom has got that title now. Yeah. So, congratulations, Tom. I hate <laughs> you. You suck, but you're the best to do it. So good for you, kid. 
Um, any other closing thoughts, man? Anything else you want to cover? You watching anything as a dad now? Um, Eliza and I have been watching a lot of basketball. More NBA this year than I probably ever have. Yeah, she's a Celtics fan, For I think. Sure. Oh, yeah, she's a Celtics fan. Good, That's good. the only Boston sport she's a fan of, though. So. Oh, wow, okay. That's it. That sucks. Is she a Yankees fan? Well, yeah, right now she is. I'll let her. I'll let her be whatever fan she wants to be. If she likes sports, I'll be happy. Whatever. Okay. If she doesn't like sports, I'll still be happy. Are we going golf? Do we think golf for a sport like for playing? Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is, that's gonna be our thing. So I'm gonna get her a little like plastic golf set, and when we're, I'm gonna make it like a fun game. Like I'm yeah. not gonna be like, hey, we're gonna hit this in the hole. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna. We're going to actually like make a game out of it, and then we're going to slowly progress to actual golf. Dude, I love It's like that. a long-term plan. I'm, I'm, no, I, I'm, I'm fantasizing of like little, ni- like little Nike shirts like when she goes pro. Of just like, you know, just like. With like an shirts Eli- and pants? Yeah, Eliza logo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because she's pro. She's going to have an Instagram. Then she'll, she'll have an Instagram. She'll have a gram, man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hey, don't silence Eliza. Hashtag free Eliza. Hashtag Eliza on Instagram. All right, folks. Um. Let's close this out. Where can they find you, Garb? Oh, you can find me on um, social media, Instagram. Don't know if you heard of it. Ryan A. Garby. That's Ryan A-G-A-R-B as in boy E. The A is for acceleration. How about that? Huh? Really fast. That's a big one. Uh, it starts you... with an E. What's that? That starts with an E. No, it doesn't. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you weren't sure. <laughs> You know I'm a bad speller. That's so mean, man. <laughs> that was so messed up. You know, that hits me deep. Um, hey, guys, you can catch us at any underscore social on Instagram. And I believe we're any underscore social, too, on Twitter. I'm uh, Richard Kennedy. You can catch me on Kennedy1627. We're New England Social. Thanks for listening. Peace.